Episode 46. The nighttime shadows retreat after ruling the season. Entitled Red Car creeps down the fair street. The first shiver of late fall. Greetings and welcome into the Patuxet General, your podcast for all things Patuxetish. Drinks, recipes, local small businesses, and scenic strolls. I am your host, Jess. Join me this week as I walk through Patuxet's past and present. We delve into French meat pie, a flip, an old Ironsides rum and soda, an autumnal stroll, and haunted dolls. But first, we would like to thank our Patreon subscribers. These leaf-peeping-minded folk are the tall oaks, maples, cherry trees, cozy scarfs, sweaters, hot chocolate, and roasted nuts that are the autumn season that we call the Patuxet General without whom we would merely be fallen, crushed debris. So thank you! If you would like to become one of these well-informed folk, look for our page on patreon.com or simply follow the link in the show notes. So thank you again, but until then, let's go back into the past and hear about the Gatsby. Thank you, Gatsby.org, for so much information. The Burning of the Gatsby, Anonymous August 3, 1800, refound in the Warwick Historical Society newsletter, April 1978. 1772, summer was smiling the whole land through. New mown meadows scented the air, but the hearts of men were full of care. Trouble was rife, for a tyrant's hand heavily lay on our own fair land. Up and down the Rhode Island shore sailed the Gatsby, schooner of war. Might makes right when foes are few. Braggart was captain, and Braggart's the crew. Colonists had no laws that they, officers of the king, should obey. Sailing now here, sailing there, carrying trouble everywhere. At length one day, in a hurried chase, after a schooner flying apace, Fast on the bar the gaspy lay, fast till the tide should come up the bay. Midnight darkness had settled down, out from the wharves of the silent town. Boats moved swiftly, with muffled oars, quickly behind them sunk the shore. Till by the gaspy's sullen side, they float on the waves of the coming tide. Up on the deck with a sudden leap, seems like foemen sprung from the deep. The ship is theirs, ere the crew half know. Tumbling on deck from their hammocks below, lower your boats and make way. Never again shall you sail our bay. And as they pull homeward, a lurid flame lights them back o'er the way they came. Up the tall mast the fire runs free, turning to blood the unquiet sea. Till with a crash, like a thunder tone, night falls again, and the gaspy is gone. Now that you're in the mood, how about a few gaspy cocktails? For the first one, you'll need a hot poker, which, if you have a roaring fire about, is easy enough. However, some of us don't. But you may have an iron or a high-carbon steel knife that you could heat in the oven and use that. Of course, it almost goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. This is made for an all-pewter mug. To try it in glass or plastic or ceramic could injure you quite severely. So, follow all directions to do this safely. Otherwise, like they say, don't try this bit at home. 
I found both these recipes at the Gatsby Virtual Archives under Colonial Recipes. They have so many, I'm sure we will revisit them in future episodes. You should check them out at gatsby.org. I've actually seen the reenactment folk making this drink during Gatsby days on cold days, which sometimes we get in May here. Why, one year it snowed all through the first farmer's market of the season. So if you want to bolster your reserves and make a flip, you will need... Three eggs, three teaspoons sugar, a jigger of rum, a jigger of brandy, a red-hot flip iron or poker heated in the fireplace, a tall all-pewter mug, and 12 to 16 ounces of beer. In a quart mug, break three eggs, add three teaspoons sugar and stir well. Add in the jigger of rum and the jigger of brandy, beating meanwhile. Fill remaining volume of mug with beer. Insert red hot iron until it hisses and foams. The drink will become only warm. And so will you. But if you aren't looking for a warm-up but a cool-down, you could try an old Ironsides rum and soda. Although looking at the amounts, you are going to have to stay home after one or split it with a pal. But at any rate, you will need a really big glass. I mean, a wine glass full of dark rum? Wowzer! Of course, their wine glasses were smaller than ours today, but still. For the old Ironsides rum and soda, you will need the juice of one lemon, orange bitters, one wine glass full of dark rum, ice, soda water, and a straw. Into a large bar glass, put the juice of one lemon, add two dashes orange bitters, add one wine glass full of dark rum, and then three large ice cubes. Fill it up with plain soda water, and then mix and remove the ice. Serve with a straw. Well, I'm sure you'll enjoy that, if you can get to the bottom. Perhaps it would go nicely with a French meat pie. Teresa's French meat pie. Right off the bat, I'm going to say that getting any family's passed down French meat pie recipe is a coup. When you're lucky enough to get an actual Canadian meat pie recipe, well, let's just say that only happens once in a blue moon. And I've got one. Thank you, Amy from Tag Sale Treasures, not only for the recipe, but also for being host to the Patuxent General Pop-Up General Store. I must admit that visiting Tag Sale Treasures is one of my favorite things. The store is packed with antiques, restored useful items, art, linens, and jewelry. This is always my first stop when I'm looking for that special something to bring a display together, either for a holiday or to dress up my sales table. So check out Tag Sale Treasures and tell Amy Jess sent you. You won't be sorry. But first, let's make this authentic Canadian meat pie. For this recipe, you will need a half a pound of ground beef, a half a pound of ground pork, one medium onion, two to three potatoes, salt, pepper, and clove to taste, two pie shells, one top, one bottom, one nine-inch pie pan, of course, your first step is to preheat your oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. My favorite part in this dish is the mashed potatoes, so let's start there. The reason for potatoes is not only to fortify the dish, but also to absorb the excess fat or juice. 
So although we are mashing these potatoes, I wouldn't add more than a tablespoon of butter and a little bit of the water from boiling the potatoes. You want them to be a little dry so that they can do their job. Then, saute the meats and the minced onion with salt, pepper, and ground clove to taste. I might use an eighth of a teaspoon clove, a half a teaspoon of salt and pepper. When this is browned, remove from the heat and add the potatoes. At this point, you would add the mixture to the bottom crust already in your pie pan. Now, any crust will do. Your favorite family pie crust, the one in episode 44, or a store-bought one. But for the next eight weeks, there are going to be a lot of pies and a few different crusts. So let's make it easy this week. Any crust will do in a storm, and we've got one coming. Take your second crust and gently pull it over the top. Fold over all around the edges and then crimp with your forefinger, thumb, and opposite forefinger all around. Take a sharp knife and cut vents. Traditionally, three vents are cut three and a half inches long, equally spaced from the center to the edge, without ever piercing the center or the edge. It doesn't call for it, but at this point you could brush it with a quickly whipped egg. Then pop into a 350 degree oven until golden brown, about 45 to 55 minutes. You can imagine that doing this recipe in bulk would take a bit of juggling. Rotating the pies in the oven for even cooking, monitoring without opening the oven so as not to throw off the temperature, and only being able to do four at a time if you had a really good oven. Well, this is what Amy's Grandma Teresa would do for all nine of her children and their families during the holidays. And that, my friends, is a lot of meat pies. Perhaps she used lard in the crust to make them that yummy. But for sure, she put in diligence, patience, and love. And don't forget the cloves. They bring the whole dish together. So enjoy. Thanks to Grandma Teresa and Amy. Many times have I taken the pastoral walk from Broad Street towards Edgewood from Patuxet Village. And in many ways, this autumnal walk is the same. The reds, golds, oranges, and browns of the foliage, the roaring river under the bridge, the folks clutching coffee cups in the crisp air. Our journey takes us north on Broad Street. You will pass both Ocean Avenue and Windsor Road, which both go down to the water to give you magnificent views of wildlife and sailboats docked at the Rhode Island Yacht Club. Today, we are going up Broad Street past Park Avenue on our left. At the crossroads of Park and Broad, the view of giant trees and majestic Victorian houses balance the small capes opposite on the hill. Passing the delicious smells emanating from the wide variety of restaurants on our right, you can readily view the historic William Hall Library on your left. As we reach our destination on our right, at the corner of Columbia Avenue and Broad Street, 1844 Broad Street, Cranston. Emerald, Frog, Reiki, and more is an alternative health and holistic service, helping the Edgewood and Patuxet communities. Check their Facebook page for more information and contact them for an appointment. But any way around it, enjoy the walk.
I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his electromagnetic pinball museum and restoration arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball, EM pinball, and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego too. $10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. And now, a submission to our House on the Corner series, The Dolls in the Attic. Dear Patuxent General, When I was a small child, my mother kept a box of old toys in the attic. Among them were two plastic dolls. Being a child of no more than three or four years old, and just beginning to have the run of the house, my mother would bring me up there with her from time to time to do whatever attic errand she had to accomplish. It was on the very first visit to the attic that I noticed the dolls peeking out on top of the box of forgotten toys from behind a dusty cardboard flap. Naturally curious, I approached the box with all the clumsy speed of a toddler with a huge grin on my face. I was stopped, cold. One of the dollies was looking at me. The other dolly blinked at me. Mama. 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 The blinking-eyed dolly droned at me in a bizarre tone and tempo. As per my age, at the shock, I screamed and cried until my mother comforted me and told me that there was nothing to be afraid of and they were just a couple of dusty old dolls. I was sufficiently placated by my mother's reassurances and reminded myself of them each time throughout my life that I would encounter these dolls. The doll that stared and the doll that blinked. They looked at me. Every time I went up into the attic, there was an intelligence there that was palpable. Despite my adolescent concerns to my parents, I was told they were just old dolls and not to worry about them. Thirty years later, at a family dinner, my mother was telling me about a room in her house that was having disturbances, noises, and broken things. In the disclosure of what she kept in that room were those haunted dolls. What? I exclaimed at my mother. You told me those were nothing special. She replied, what would you tell a little kid that was asking about scary haunted dolls? So my mother told me where the dolls came from. Her father was an immigrant, originally from the Belarus, Ukraine area. He moved to London during the pogroms and later came to America. He stayed close to his family overseas, and when World War II was over, he started a campaign to bring them to America from Europe. Many of them had survived concentration camps and were scattered throughout Europe, hiding from Stalin after surviving Hitler. He spent $50,000 bringing 10 people over from 1948 to 1954. One of them, my Aunt Leah, told my mother stories about how, when they used to have to hide in the woods, they would have to feed the babies dirt to keep their stomachs from growling and to keep them from crying. And that was where these dolls came from. The relatives from Europe had brought them over from the camps and who knows what else with them? My mother, citing their tendency to move about on their own, locked them in a trunk in that now disturbed room.
Thank you again for joining us at the PG. We love having you here. And if you have any suggestions, questions, local ghost stories, or questions about the pop-up general store, our email is jess at patuxetgeneral.com. Hit us up. We may use your submission on the podcast. We will be doing many kinds of pie coming up. So email us with suggestions or recipes. But until then, I'll meet you right back here next time at the Patuxet General. A something for posterity production. Pre-recorded in Patuxet. <laughs>